What is up, party people? Welcome to the first episode of the Jordan P. Quinn Show. My name is Jordan P. Quinn. I'm a former competitive bodybuilder turned foodie, world travel, and emotional intelligence coach after having a near-death experience at the ripe old age of 22. This is my story. When I was a kiddo, 17 months old to be exact, I was doing all the things that a toddler is meant to be doing. Walking and talking and exploring and giggling and all of the things. And then one day, I started to stand up and fall over. I would stand up, take a couple steps, and then I would fall over again. I stopped being able to do all of the things that a toddler is meant to be doing. After some scans and some tests, it was found that I had a mildly cancerous brain tumor. A junior pilocytic astrocytoma, to be specific, which I am sure means something to somebody that somebody is not me. The TLDR of it was that the situation wasn't great and I needed to have surgery ASAP. They thought they got everything after the first surgery and that wasn't the case and so they went back in for round two and successfully removed the tumor and all of the cysts surrounding it. They stitched me back up and off I went. Oh, they, they mostly stitched me back up. When my parents finally got me home, they went to take me out of the car seat only to find that the car seat was absolutely soaked. They had forgotten to stitch close my shunt, and so I was leaking cerebral spinal fluid all over my car seat, which is meant to stay inside of your body, for the record. So back to the hospital we went, stitched me back up, and finally, everyone was home safe. I didn't start talking again until I was four. Other than that, by all recollections, I was a quote-unquote normal kid. I was super into video games, cartoons, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, toys, uh, my cat, which I had named Kitty, which was my first word when I did finally start talking again. And I was just generally pretty stoked on life. We spent most of that youth after the surgery moving every six months to two years due to my dad's job. And with that came a lot of new kid blues. Uh, we started in Colorado. We lived there until I was four, so right about when I started talking again. Then we moved to two places in Indiana. Uh, we were in Carmel and Fort Wayne uh, for I think like two years or less total. Then we went to Westerville, Ohio, uh, Morganville, New Jersey. Finally outside of Chicago uh, in a suburb called Naperville where I lived for the longest. We were there for like six years. And during that time of all the transition and the moving and all the things, there was lots of bullying, lots of trying to fit in and lots of falling flat on my face in that trying to fit in. As time went on, I continued watering down my authentic, nerdy self in an effort to make myself more palatable and hopefully fit in with the popular kids. Someday, or somehow. And it didn't really work. Fast forward a little bit, I eventually did find an incredible group of friends in high school, and that's also when I found the gym. Uh, my dad used to be like jacked out of his mind in his 20s. They always used to joke that like he couldn't walk through doors straight because his, his shoulders were so broad. And those jeans got passed down to me, minus the, the verticality, not the most vertically gifted human in the world. So you stack the results on top of the fact that the gym was really the only time my dad and I got to bond in high school, just given like his work schedule and how he traveled and everything. Um, it like, I, I became obsessed, right? Like I was the de facto gym rat in my high school. It's what I did, it's how I lived. Um, and at the same time, I was also wrestling. Uh, and when you smash those two things together, what do you get? Uh, you get all the foundations for an eating disorder and body dysmorphia. Like back then, so like off season wrestling, I was uh, like 170, 175 pounds. 
and I would I was wrestling 152s, uh, and so when I was cutting, I would eat like a little bit more than an apple and a small turkey sandwich every day, swinging you know a little bit over 20 pounds to make weight, and that was with me lifting every day. Dude, I used to go I used to go to practice for like two hours. I would get home, have a meal replacement shake, shower, and then go straight to the gym to lift. Like it was three, four, five hours a day of living in some sort of exercise. It started to ruin my life. And the first time I ever tried to prep for a bodybuilding show, and I use the term prep very loosely, uh, I was a freshman in college and I had, I had zero idea what I was actually doing and basically just restricted my diet as much as possible with a bunch of arbitrary food rules like the ones you've all heard, right? Like no carbs after 6 p.m., uh, you know, protein shakes, low carb, all the things. I had no idea. Um, and I, you know, just restricted minus still ripping copious shots of vodka on the weekends, of course, because, well, obviously vodka has less calories than Keystone Ice. And I was in a fraternity, so like, I obviously can't just stop drinking. Uh, really had my head on straight. I ended up not doing that show. I found a bunch of excuses and a bunch of ways to self-sabotage my way out other than just the drinking and all the other things. Uh, and shortly after that, I dropped out of college. Um, the reason I dropped out of college, and this is definitely a topic for another time, we'll dive deeper. Um, my girlfriend at the time uh, found a suicide note that I had written um, and she, she sent that to my family. And that moment saved my life. Like, I don't think I would still be here. So uh, thank you, A, if you're out there. Well, I'm, I know you're out there if you're listening. Uh, so after I dropped out and you know recovered from that phase of, of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, all the things, uh, I dove headfirst into everything bodybuilding. I became a certified personal trainer. I hired my first coach and I did my first show. And from that first show on, I had the bug. I proceeded to compete several more times I eventually won the inaugural Classic Physique overall title at the largest show in the Rocky Mountain region, which usually had competitors from like eight states or so. Uh, my official title became Mr. Rocky Mountain, and I thought that I had made it. Uh, I was definitely good enough to be pro, and had I continued competing, that absolutely would have became my entire life. Um, I was actually, when I won that show, my original plan was to head to nationals in Miami like a week or two afterwards, and I backed out. And I think that was like the first domino falling over and helping me decide to live a different life. And had I shown up to that show, I probably would have placed, I probably would have got my pro card and things would have looked very different. Luckily for me, the universe had different plans. The first blow after deciding not to be in nationals was the death of my now ex-fiance's mother. Um, it came on very suddenly after they missed her cancer on a scan. Um, and man, I miss you, Julie. Uh, and about three weeks after that, I was at work and something started to feel really wrong. I took one flight of stairs and I had to hold myself up at the top of the railing because I was so winded. And keep in mind, I had spent like every day for the last decade in the gym, right? I was a very high level wrestler. I was very, I was very fit and I could barely stand. I was nauseous. I had a cold sweat. I'd never felt anything like it. But because I was 22 and invincible, I tried to just shrug it off, shrug it off. I even still tried to go to the gym that night. Um, you can go ahead and color me stupid now. 
there was a moment right before that workout where I was deciding whether or not to take pre-workout because of how I felt and I decided against it and that might have saved my life again because had I railed a bunch of caffeine in that moment uh, based on what ended up happening probably wouldn't have gone very well for me got home from the gym tried to eat some dinner and like just you know sleep it off I woke up in the middle of the night with every heart attack symptom in the book it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. I couldn't breathe. I had left arm pain. I had neck pain. I mean, the whole nine yards. I begged the ex-fiance to take me to the ER, which she wasn't particularly keen on doing since we had just spent so much time there with her mother. Uh, but she finally acquiesced. We arrived and they hooked me up to all the things, um, blood work, EKG, cardiogram, etc. My troponin readings were off the chart, and for those of you who don't know, troponin is an enzyme that your body releases when your heart is being damaged. Um, mine was a, some ungodly percentage, like 800 times higher than it's supposed to be or something, just insane. And the EKG looked like someone was having a heart attack. My ejection fraction was about 25%, uh, which for reference, it's meant to be around 60% for somebody my age at the time. An ejection fraction is like how much blood moves through the chambers of your heart on each pump. Um, basically, like my heart was pumping smoke. It was just kind of like pumping nothing. Uh, and my pulse ox was in like the low to mid 80s. Uh, so oxygen just wasn't getting circulated in my system. And so obviously things looked really bad. Uh, they immediately took me into the cath lab to see what was happening. So they put uh, a catheter up through my wrist with a little camera on it to get into my chest. And I was like, I was begging them. I was like, please put me under. I want no part of this. Like, I don't want to know. And they couldn't because I was, I was so, you know, on the, the brink. They didn't know if they could put me under and, and be able to bring me back. So uh, they did in the angiogram. Um, and luckily, there was no structural damage to my heart or blockages or like, you know, dead spots or anything. It was just shutting down. Um, effectively, it had just become so inflamed that it, it couldn't work anymore, couldn't do its job. Um, and so... Given that there was no structural damage, no blockages to do, really all we could do was uh, put me on some heart failure drugs, some blood thinners, and wait. And the first cardiologist I saw the next morning said that if I didn't make progress, I'd probably need a heart transplant, and I would almost certainly never work out or train for bodybuilding again. Fast forward a few days, and somehow, seemingly, uh, luckily, I was out of the woods. The official diagnosis was acute viral myocarditis, uh, which basically just means I had the flu for my heart, like a really intense viral infection that inflamed the, the muscle and the tissue in my heart. Uh, once the infection and the inflammation cleared, I made an extremely rapid recovery. It was only a few months until I was back to exercising and feeling strong again. Um, I think it was on you know some heart failure drugs for two or three months afterwards. I was also on a gout medication, which is really interesting. Apparently that's helpful for uh, inflammation of the chest cavity and at this point you know I'm thinking I must have been a cat in a previous life because I've gotten very lucky more than once now uh, and you know hopefully that's I've still got at least seven of those lives in the tank right um, but something shifted in that time after I was recovering um, and I did like I just clicked I couldn't keep living my life that way like I started asking different questions about what I wanted and where things were going and what was happening and I realized like life had to be more than just going to the gym and weighing out chicken breast and broccoli and doing that over and over and over again for years. So in the few months following being in the hospital, right, I, I wasn't working, I wasn't in school, I wasn't doing very much. I was just kind of recovering. 
And I remember I had once taken one of those like career aptitude tests in high school, you know, one of those, hey, you might be good at this job kind of things. And for some reason, I remembered I did that. So I sat down, I popped open my email and I started scrolling through the list of jobs and my eyes just landed on software engineer. It kind of jumped out at me and I, I've always loved computers and video games. I thought to myself, so like this might actually be kind of cool. Uh, I had a friend who had gone to a boot camp uh, called Turing School of Software and Design. That's where I ended up going. Uh, incredible institution, highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point in the future. But yeah, fast forward, you know, four years and it turns out software was very cool. Uh, it opened doors I had never imagined for myself. I met my mentor uh, who's guided me through the last four years who ultimately enrolled me into the program where I'm now an emotional intelligence coach at. I was making six figures before the age of 25. I've been able to solo travel to nearly a dozen countries on a three and a half, three and a half month sabbatical at 27 years old. I got to go on my dream vacation to my favorite country in the world, Japan. And I even got a student visa approved to move to Tokyo for a year, which I didn't get to do because of COVID, but I will absolutely get there someday, you know. Uh, and, and so much more that really is only scratching the surface of what I've been able to do over the last four years. And all of those open doors though, like one thing became abundantly clear and that software isn't where my greatest ability to impact the world is at. It's amazing, it's beautiful, it's flexible, and it's not driven by vision for me. Really getting to do things like this, sharing my story, guiding others through their own tumultuous experiences on this little rock hurtling through space is what I'm here to do. And that's where this podcast comes into play. So on, on this podcast, you can expect us to talk about all of the above, well-being, emotional intelligence, travel, food and body freedom, foreign languages, software, and any of the other things that I love so much and that have been so important to me over the years. So with that, thank you for joining. I'm so grateful to get to share this experience with you. I can't wait to continue sharing all the things and chatting every week about a topic near and dear to my heart, near and dear to the guest's heart, whatever comes up. So uh, if you're feeling called to support this mission, this story, uh, by far the most supportive thing you can do is to leave this podcast a five-star review on whatever your podcast platform of choice is and share the heck out of it. Let me know what you want to hear. I would love to talk about whatever topics come up for you, what you think is interesting, share more stories from my life. Um, and I just can't wait to continue going down this path with y'all. So you can find me on Instagram at Jordan underscore P underscore Quinn on YouTube as Jordan Quinn and on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Jordan P Quinn. Uh, those links will all be in the description and until next time, family, much love. I'll talk to you soon.